Hi, I'm Wayne Jones. Welcome to Writing and Editing, the podcast for people who deal with words, writers, readers and listeners, editors and their clients. My guest today is Ray Cornell. She's worked in copywriting, content creation and web development for 15 years and now runs a successful marketing firm providing advice to a range of clients, large and solo. I asked her to be on the show to talk about the business of being a freelancer, especially as a writer or editor. And she came through talking articulately from a base of solid knowledge, experience and training about what a freelancer can do to improve their business. This is How to Be Better at Freelancing, episode 205 of the podcast. Hi, Ray. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I know. I really appreciate your your time and doing this. I want to start off because uh, our conversation is going to focus on basically probably a sliver of what you do or an you know a single aspect. I wonder if you could start off by just saying for listeners, what do you do in the broad sense? Like, what is your what are your main focuses? Sure. So uh, now I run a full service content marketing agency where we do copywriting, content creation and multimedia marketing for businesses. Um, but I started out 16 years ago as a freelance writer. Wow. What were you writing at the time, like for magazines and things you mean? So initially, so funny little side note story. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, I changed schools and I went a summer without any friends or anything to do. And so I sat at home on my computer and taught myself HTML and CSS. Uh. So when I first started, I was actually doing website development and often uh, the people who I was doing the websites for, they needed content. So I would write the websites and eventually I realized that I just loved writing, which had always been kind of a side passion of mine as a kid, uh, way more than the meticulous task of building websites and coding, uh, which because at the time we didn't have things like Elementor and Divi and all of that. Um, And so, yeah, I started out actually on my college campus doing their websites and did some for a friend of my dad's and then it just kind of spread from there. And then I branched out onto the internet going, how do you make a living as a writer? And I'm sure we've <laughs> all typed that into Google before. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, it started off as a coding job, doing that kind of what one might call writing. But then you realize that actually the text you're putting in, you're really interested in doing that too. You know, what one sees. Yeah. 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 So what I wanted to ask about a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of my listeners are, Uh, freelancers or people who have a sort of a solo business of either writing or editing, uh, that sort of thing, something in communications. And uh, uh, one of the things on your your profile that it was uh, that was mentioned was that you sort of coach people in that you may do bigger groups or you may do corporations, I'm not sure. But uh, in what way would you coach individuals if, if you do do that business as well? Yeah, absolutely. So as I was building up my agency, I started kind of naturally falling into this mentoring role with the freelancers on my team. I have freelance writers, editors, social media managers, VAs, and I would often, you know, they'd tell me what their rates are and I'd go, that's way too low. You can't possibly make a living on that. No way. We're going to set minimums for our pay for our team members. And so in 2019, I decided to actually separate out the mentoring that I was doing within Cornell, my marketing agency, into a completely separate business, which is Chiron Consulting. So on that side, I do work directly with uh, freelance creatives, 
writers, editors, VAs, social media managers, and I mentor them in business building. So we do a lot of one-on-one work and we're launching a mastermind in 2024, uh, which will be a group program, but mostly it's one-on-one private mentoring. So uh, what aspects of business do you mean? uh, So it sounds like you're not talking about, uh, you know, say actually writing and that sort of thing. You're not coaching people in writing, but the, the, you know, the, the behind the scenes part is, you mean like, how is it that one can make it? How is it that or say, let's say a writer or editor could do it so that they can actually uh, garner an income from what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I do occasionally coach them on their writing, you know, telling them, hey, if you want to write for the web or for these particular clients, then you need to kind of tweak this in your style and your approach and your delivery. But for the most part, it's business building. It's how do you set your rates? How do you market yourself? How do you get clients? How do you write proposals and contracts that protect yourself as a freelancer, but that don't scare away your ideal clients? And it's all of this infrastructure that we often think we have to go outside of ourselves to find the answers. For example, you know, when I said I would type into Google when I was just starting out how to make money as a freelance writer, a lot of people go to Google and they type in how much to charge for a blog post. But if you do that, you're going to get everything from $20 per piece up to $2,000 per Mm -hmm. piece. And how do you know where you fall in that spectrum? So a lot of the work that I do with my mentees is helping them figure out exactly how much they need to make in their business in order for this to be long-term and sustainable, and then how to set their rates based on what they need, because everyone's needs, lifestyle, expenses, goals, that's all unique to them. And if you set your rates based on what you personally need, as opposed to what the rest of the world says a going rate for a blog post is then you're going to have a much healthier and more profitable business. That makes sense. Yeah, because you, you one could imagine that there are people who, you know, are just doing it as a kind of a side gig. And if they make $10,000 a year, they're, they're satisfied with that, you know, because they, you know, it, that that's all they, you know, it's, it's just something on the side. But there are others definitely uh, who this is how they need to make a living to pay for all the expensive groceries now. Uh, and exactly. uh, so that that's a whole different conversation probably. Exactly. And it also depends on what you like to write and who you like to work with. For example, I have a friend who works with businesses like AT&T and IBM. He can charge way more because his expertise is very specialized and the companies he works with are bigger they're pouring more ad dollars into their content. So each piece of content is going to yield a higher ROI. So they're willing to spend more and they have bigger budgets. So he can charge more in working with those larger companies. And then I have mentees who they don't want to work with big corporations like that. That's one of the reasons they got into freelancing because they didn't want to be part of that corporate world. So instead they want to work with small businesses or local organizations or maybe even nonprofits and in that situation, you have to scale your rates to accommodate what those businesses are actually willing and able to spend, while at the same time making sure that you're not lowballing yourself to the point where you're going to burn out, because that's the biggest threat to being a freelancer is burnout. The other thing I thought about when you were talking about sort of different rates, you know, due to what one, what uh, one's life situation is, is that you also, apart from burning out, the other thing would be... Uh, you know, the kind of thing where people say you, you get what you pay for so that if your mm-hmm. rate is your rate is so low that you may be perceived as of a lower quality where that might not be the case. So is, that's exactly. probably the kind of thing as well, right? 
Exactly. And and that's the thing is when you're working directly with businesses, they have a perception. If they're openly willing to hire a freelancer, which some are not, some are very insistent that they are looking for an employee. And sometimes you can convince them, hey, here are the 19 reasons why working with a freelance contractor is actually better for you. But they have this sort of... Um, a set range of what they're expecting and if you fall below that range then their immediate impression is going to be that you're new that you're not experienced and that possibly that all translates into you not being as good as what they are hoping to get for the money they're willing to spend i'm not so sure what it's like on the writing side of freelancing but on the uh on the editing side you kind of have two situations. One is that where you're working with like an editor. I do a little freelance editing. I'm in the group where, you know, if, if I, I don't need to make a, a living from it, I'm retired mm. and, and all that. So from a whole other career. So uh, uh, lost my train of thought. Yes. So the, the, the two categories are probably uh, one where you're working with personal clients. Someone has written a novel and they mm -hmm. give it to you to uh, to they want you to edit it, and the other category would be that a lot of freelancers also um, uh, work with uh, say academic presses and that sort of thing, and those would probably be cases where they tell you what you're going to get. There's no negotiation; it's a gigantic publisher, uh, and that would happen. So that's something to be worked in to the budget. And I guess I, I, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about sort of the typical situation where say a freelance editor is working with one-on-one -on -one with a client and whether some of the things that like you either, I guess, approach it either way, either you see that people get wrong, you see that a freelance editor is getting wrong from what you get from what you hear from them, or that you'd advise them on in order to maintain clients like that or to gather even more uh, clients like that? Yeah, so it's important to talk to your client about what their expectations are for an editor because as I'm sure any editors listening to this know, there's a big difference between proofreading and editing and then even copy editing for things like sales copy and things like that as opposed to more narrative-based copy. And so you really want to have that conversation with your client about what are you looking for? Because if you're working with someone who, let's say, they've written a manuscript or it's some kind of education-based content or even something like a textbook or an e-learning course, most likely the person who created that is going to be very particular over the words that they chose and the intent behind those words. Whereas if you're writing for businesses, doing editing for marketing materials, they're less attached to the, the words and the nuance and, and the connotations of each word. And they're more concerned with conversion and brand loyalty and brand perception and they just want it to be as high quality as possible which means you have more leeway you have more freedom to edit and improve the content whereas on the other side you probably don't have as much freedom to edit a memoir or a personal manuscript where the person has deliberately chosen a certain word order and style and maybe it doesn't follow AP style technically, but that's what they want. And you have to really get to know that person much more than when you're doing more of the corporate marketing and business type content. Those are two good points there. Uh, certainly just to take the memoir example, one is that uh, 
the important thing for an editor should be a consistency. Uh, as long as it's, you know, what the, write, what the writer is doing, there's a consistent style element throughout. And definitely what you're saying about the tone or the, the style or whatever, uh, that's something that an editor should be very, or a good editor should be very conscious of not, uh, I mean, you have to point some things out, but not messing with that so much. And having, yeah. and then just like you were saying, having a conversation with the editor, the editor having a conversation with the client about what are you trying to achieve, you know, what's all, all that sort of thing, getting, as it were, the backstory before you uh, touch the words. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing what the client's priorities are, that's going to really help you do your job better and do fewer revisions, which means that you're going to spend less time and you're going to make more money per hour on that particular project. So that upfront work of getting to know who you're working with and why you're doing that particular project goes a long way. Right, right. Has your experience been, since you've talked to a lot of uh, clients, you know, from solo to groups or whatever, uh, for the solo group, like for the, let's say the single uh, freelance writer or freelance editor, that someone could make a living at that um, or, or not? Absolutely. I mean, I've been at it for 16 years and this has been my primary source of income and I'm a freelance writer by trade. Um, editing is a bit different because you end up doing a higher volume of pieces in order to make the same amount as a writer. But if you want to do larger projects like editing manuscripts or editing um, entire e-learning courses, those are large projects that you can dedicate a month or two of your time to and get all of your income for those months from one project. So it's all about figuring out what you need in order to make this a long-term sustainable source of income for you and then also making sure that you are putting certain I'll say either limits or measures of success on your business so a lot of people think oh my business is only successful if I hit six figures no that's just what Instagram tells you mm -hmm. that's not the reality of it success might actually look like well, I only work, you know, 15 to 20 hours per week and I get to spend more time with my kids or I get to go traveling with my spouse or, you know, I get to reclaim my health after working a sedentary job for the past 10 years. There are all these other measures of success that you have to factor in. It's not always about money, even though money is kind of the, the default superficial metric that we all look at. Yeah. And as a basic, of course, you need a certain amount of it. But uh, if it's your it for some people uh, who are certain types of people, that can be your entire focus and your health and your family don't matter, so to speak. But mm -hmm. for others who want to balance life, you can easily imagine. I see what you're saying. Uh, I sort of have a feel I, I, I hesitate to make generalizations like this because it just seems like something I'm re re repeating from the news. But that COVID was a big a uh, uh, lump in all of our lives there, a lump of time of three years where there was a lot of reassessing going on of things like uh, work-life balance, uh, how much time I spend with my family, do I really need to be at the workplace, do I want this job that I have? Uh, I'd, I'd be willing to bet, uh, I can say this, I suppose, that uh, maybe there are some freelancers who came out of that because they thought, you know what, uh, I, I work better independently and I would like to have control more of what I do. Um, 
And there's what I, I what there was just a little bit of a ramble, but I wanted to ask you a question about um, uh, the kind of the the kind of person. I'm just wondering. I'm just imagining you, uh, for example, consulting with or meeting with a client uh, that. You have to have a certain mindset to be a freelancer. You know, you have to be comfortable comfortable with um, just on the monetary side. You have to be comfortable mm-hmm. with um, an amount of uncertainty that someone who has a you know a nine to five job, as they say, uh, doesn't. And uh, I wonder whether you've ever bumped into people, or while you were advising people, that was something that came comes up a lot, or something that you advise a lot. Or where you meet a kind of a, ty- a type of person who uh, they're not suited for that work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because my husband and I have conversations about this all the time because he worked for FedEx for 20 years. And in October of 2022, he retired and joined me full time in the business, which he had been helping me on the Cornell side for a number of years as our web developer and things like that. But he really came from this employment only mindset of you have to get a job and you have to rely on a company for a paycheck and health insurance benefits and all of that. Whereas I'm on the other side of the spectrum going no to employment, no to the W2 world, like very anti, you know, traditional employment. And when we made the switch for him to come over and join me, he's been having kind of all these aha moments that I think I took for granted because I've just always been in this world. But first of all, let me say, I think it's a myth that a traditional job of employment, W-2 here in the U.S. is what we call it, that, that provides more stability than being a freelancer. It's a myth because my husband could have gotten fired from his job Sure. At any time, right. on any day, because right. of things that were either his fault or entirely out of his control, like budget cuts and restructuring of the corporation. Whereas in my business, in my world, if I have right now, I have three big clients and about 12 little clients. And what are the odds that all 15 of my clients fire me in mm-hmm. the same day or even in the same week or even in the same month, even in the same year? Some of my clients I've been with since 2018, mm-hmm. others since 2019. And that's what I mean by stability. At least that's what my brain thinks of as stability of there's no way that anybody can take this thing from me that I've built. This is my thing. And I have these wonderful clients. I have wonderful relationships with them. And even if one of them goes away, I still have 14 other clients. My income is not going to be that dramatically impacted. Whereas when you're an employee, you have one client, so to speak. And if they fire you, if they let you go, you have to start all over. And so I think it's important for freelancers to realize that there's so much more in your control. Yes, the burden of responsibility is all on your shoulders. And that's something that I think if you are going to be a freelancer and do that as your main source of income, you have to understand that everything is within your control, the good and the bad. So if you're not getting enough clients, if you're not getting enough leads, if you're not getting enough sales calls booked on your calendar, if you're not getting enough projects, All you have to do is go out into the world. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is nobody coming to me for work? You can go get more work. And that's a lot of what I help my mentees figure out how to do in a way that 
feels genuine and authentic to them because I'll be the first person to say, I hate social media. I am not a person who relies on social media for clients. And yet we think that because Facebook and Twitter or now X and Instagram are all right in front of our faces, that that's the only way. And it's not. And so when you figure out the mechanism that works for you to get clients, then you can actually build a much more stable and reliable foundation for you to base your life on. But, and this goes back to your original point, you have to have that mindset and personality of being willing to do that. I call it opportunity creation, as opposed to just waiting for opportunity to find you. And that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. I'm very introverted, which probably surprises you from me being on podcasts and things, but I'll go into my little introverted bubble here in a while. But you do have to decide that this is what you want and you're willing to put in the effort to build that foundation for yourself. That's all extremely articulately and eloquently put and very informative. Uh, when you were describing the uh, the situation with your number of clients and if one left kind of thing, it reminded me that, you know, just to use a business analogy, what you have is a, what, a diversified portfolio, right? Whereas someone exactly. else has all their money in a mattress kind of thing. Uh, exactly. Right, yes. right, right. I discovered I had a little discovery about myself when I retired because I had a job and, uh, you know, I was in senior management. And when I retired, I suddenly could do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, you and I don't mean that it's all play. I mean, you have to work right. You have to mm -hmm. uh, be responsible for, for example. Uh, but that's what a freelancer could have too. You know, you can choose your clients. You can work with uh, NGOs if that's what you want to do. Uh, so there's a there's a beauty in it. There uh, is there. Are, do you talk to uh, clients also about because you, what you mentioned is that you built this. You know, you were talking about this thing I built. Uh, the building part is probably where a lot of the muscles get strained or, uh, but once you, and it's not to say that you can sort of cruise on home now and you're, you're good for the next 50 years, but, um, are, are, I mean, you probably are, but what I mean is that, uh, the building process is where you have to have certain uh, traits and characteristics to stick with it because there might be, I remember there was a time in my life when I was a freelance editor where during one of the years I made $6,000. So I knew that I had to do something to change that. And uh, I suppose you get clients like that as well. Absolutely. And really, it's not about being a certain way. It's not about being extroverted or introverted or left brain or right brain. It's about knowing yourself and knowing how you work best. So, for example, when you're working a traditional job, you typically have to work eight to five or nine to five and they tell you when to go to lunch and they tell you when to be at meetings and they tell you they structure your whole life whereas when you're a freelancer you get to control when you do your work so there's an exercise that i do with a lot of my mentees which i call the energy aligned success schedule where we actually map out a typical work week based on where your energy peaks and valleys are so we track your energy for three days and we see when do you have natural bursts of energy? When are you at your lowest? And then we assign the different responsibilities of building your business, whether that's invoicing and accounting or actual creative work or marketing work or lead gen work or sales calls or 
content interviews, whatever the case may be, we assign those to particular parts of your schedule that align with how your energy goes. And that way you're not sitting yourself down at a desk and forcing yourself to do work just because you're quote unquote on the clock. Right. Instead, you are doing work when you are naturally going to have the most ease in doing that particular kind of work. And so that's what I mean by it all comes down to knowing yourself. If you know that you do better with one-on-one -on -one conversations like I do, then I'm going to use particular kinds of client acquisition strategies. If you know that you're more of a one-to-many or you kind of like to be on stage, then I'm going to recommend different kinds of client acquisition strategies. And when you're building your business, it's all about figuring out what are the different pieces that I need to have in my business and then which version of that piece is going to be best suited to me that I can do with the most ease with the most natural effortless motivation and that I can do long term and as you go through life inevitably things are going to change you know you might get married get divorced have kids move whatever happens in your life so you need to be able to pivot your business to match those different phases of your life as well. And you can really only do that as someone who's self-employed. You can't do that always as an employee. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a big advantage, right? If you're a freelance writer, you can be in uh, Timbuktu or Toledo, Ohio, or wherever you might want to yeah. be. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ray, this has been super informative and actually encouraging. I, I, uh, I, it's not that I came to this interview thinking, well, people can't make a living at editing and writing, can they? But uh, it's very encouraging. And also the things you were saying about social media, there's a lot of things that people sort of assume just because, as you say, X and Facebook and Twitter are, are, all, are all there or used to be, uh, that you have to dive in there sort of thing. I think that's reassuring for me and I think maybe for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge relief when you realize that you don't have to do anything that you don't want to or that doesn't feel good for you when you run your own business. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links. I won't have a guest, nor will I be solo on the next episode. Pause. It will be the second episode in the Editing Essentials series, and my co-host will be freelance editor, the well-informed and always entertaining Jenny Adelima. That's on Monday. Please join us.